The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to First Bite, our Detroit Lions midweek podcast, breaking down the Lions' upcoming matchup. It's week three. It's Vikings week. That means we have one of our very special guests here. But before we get into that, my name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the producer over at Pride of Detroit. You can find me at Detroit Online on Twitter. With me, as always, co-hosting First Bite is senior editor, uh, senior elder. Is that is that what we're trying to go with there? Uh, at Ryan underscore POD. It's Ryan Matthews. Hey, what's up? Uh, Elden editor, apparently. Um, we yeah. were workshopping it a little bit with uh, with our special guests. So I like that. All right, Eldon, Eldon editor, E squared. <laughs> it's got a ring to it. It does have a little ring to it. Uh, yeah, let's let's tease our our guest no further. Uh, I like to call him now a former Vikings writer. Uh, used to be of the Athletic Minnesota. Used to be of the Daily Norseman. Still the co-host of the Norse Code podcast, and now the NFL writer for Pro Football Network. Arif Hassan is here. Arif, how are we doing, buddy? We're doing great. Uh, I, I tried getting like a little bit of a lion's blue light going on for this episode. Um, it's being washed out by all the other lights that I cannot control the color of, but you know, it's good enough effort. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's the thought that counts. It's definitely not Vikings purple. Yeah. I, I hope that's clear. Right. That, that's sure. Yes. We'll go with yes. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll all, get- all this, I, I was going to say, Jeremy, all this uncertainty definitely leads in well to our first question. Right? Yes, for sure. I mean, the Vikings to me always feel like an uncertain team. One of the most inconsistent teams I ever have to cover as, as a preview. And the, the head of all of that is the quarterback. And as I feel like I've let off this podcast, the last two times we've, we've, we've been with you here. Is Kirk Cousins good? Uh, I feel like I'm going to give the same answer the other times I gave. <laughs> That's okay. Which I don't remember, but I imagine when something like it depends on how you define good. <laughs> um, and the Bill Clinton answer, right? Yeah, yeah, of yeah. Is, is. What's yeah. the meaning of is? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's so like, I would you rather have Kirk Cousins than you know you throw a dart at a board full of a bunch of starting quarterbacks in the NFL? Probably, right? Like, uh, sure. it, sorry, I saw Ryan shaking his head. I definitely thought that was a lead into you saying Jared Goff. 
Uh, I mean, I think so, but you know, we can have a Jared Goff discussion later. Um, <laughs> so now he's pouting. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I think that he's better than the average NFL quarterback. I think that if you put a good team around him, he's going to do more than most quarterbacks. If you put a good team around them. Um, I think that the contract demands that he has put together are very savvy on his part, but kind of mitigate this discussion, right? Kind of make it difficult for you to say that he's worth, you know, the money, which is not really the case for really high level quarterbacks. But usually when we say good, we don't mean 13th best quarterback in the NFL or something like that, right? We mean, which I don't even know if he is, right? He's like a bunch of rankings of him as like 15th, right? Um, but uh you know, we usually mean like a top eight quarterback and then like elites, like a top four quarterback or something. Right. And so I don't think he's a top eight quarterback, especially in the current quarterback environment where there are so many good, interesting, intriguing options. Um, I don't know that he's that, but, but certainly you'd rather have him on your team than a random starting quarterback. Okay. I'll take that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That seems what you've said before, I think. Sure. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Someone do some digging. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, and just mash up all Get of Arif's answers. Man. Yeah, if they like say it the same cadence, the same words, that'd be perfect. <laughs> um, let's talk about the new head coach in Minnesota, Arif, because I think maybe uh, as an outsider, I think a lot, a lot of Lions fans would say, "Oh, you know, you know, the Vikings went out, they got a, a, an offensive-minded coach because they want to try to maximize what they can get out of Kirk Cousins, and they have a bunch of weapons on offense." So, like, I, I guess the question is, like what are the hallmarks or the differences of Kevin O'Connell's offense as opposed to, you know, the, the last regime regime with, uh, with Zimmer? Um, I would say that uh, there's a lot more kind of flexibility in, in the way that one will approach the game in this offense. Um, so if you saw week one, it was a bunch of 21 personnel. So two running backs on the field, one tight end um, and a bunch of just kind of mashing it, right. Just running a fullback at people and seeing what happens. I uh, generally worked out against green Bay. Uh, and then, you know, game two, they didn't, they put CJ Hammond, like three snaps. Uh, they had a bunch of, you know, three wide receiver sets, you know, and they, they kind of want to kind of mix things around, right. You know, in another week, it might be a bunch of two tight end sets, right. Because, you know, they might perceive, you know, the third linebacker or something on the field as weak. And so they want to kind of isolate that person. So, you know, it, it could be different from week to week. And certainly that this is something that they've communicated to us that the Vikings seem to have um, depth at a bunch of different skill positions that they might want to feature a different skill position based on matchups by the week. And so that's kind of one uh, feature of it. Whereas, you know, the previous versions of whatever offense was being run under Zimmer, whether it's, you know, Kubiak or uh, DeFilippo or the other Kubiak or Stefanski, um, it, it was always two wide receivers and, you know, some iteration of two tight end or two running back. And so, which is like, wow, because wide receivers like the best position that they have and has been since before Justin Jefferson. So it was, it was pretty weird, but, you know, they'll throw the ball a lot more in this offense. They, um, will kind of vary the running game a little bit more, even though it's really well known for wide zone. Um, but it's really kind of an offense designed to have a bunch of different answers to a bunch of different problems. Well, we, we saw kind of like vastly different performances out of that offense between week one and week two. Is that the result of, I mean, it sounds like that can be kind of complicated, right? To, to kind of have such a morphous offense that that can be so many different things. Is this just, you know, early getting settled with the scheme stuff or um, was the game plan maybe just off in week two? Yeah, I think the game plan was mostly just off. I think that this approach is a pretty good one to have. And I don't think um, by itself, the approach has led to confusion because um, 
Kirk's reads should not be all that different, right? Like whether it's the fullback running the route or wide receiver running the route, if that guy is open, you should probably throw it to him, right? <laughs> it's like, it's exact. Like, suddenly he like sees like dreadlocks and he's like, oh, I have no idea what to do here. That's that's not CJ Ham. What's going on? Right? Like that's not what's happening. <laughs> like and and the playbook is not all that different. It's just kind of different players running kind of the same plays, which is one of the elements of the offense is that you actually don't have an expansive playbook. You've got a somewhat limited menu of plays with an expansive set of formations of personnel to run those plays out of to confuse the defense, make things simple for the offense. So it really shouldn't be that. Uh, in this case, it just seemed like that once Philadelphia started doing things that they weren't expecting on both sides of the ball, but, you know, we're talking about the offense right now, once the Philadelphia started blitzing um, a lot, you know, they didn't seem to have many answers, which like is frustrating, right? Because, you know, it's like an offensive genius and it's not like neither Kirk Cousins nor Kevin O'Connell have seen a bunch of blitzing before. Um, but, you know, the whole meme with the Philadelphia defense was that Jonathan Gannon doesn't blitz. It's been very right. frustrating for them. Yeah. Uh, and then they blitz at like a 48% rate and they like didn't have answers for that guy, which is just like, I don't know what the deal with that is. I think a lot of that is on Kevin O'Connell. I think a good amount of that is on Kirk Cousins because in response to the blitz, he had open receivers short that were, looking towards him for the ball. So we know that they were operating outside of the timing of the traditional five or three uh, step structure to be open in case there was a blitz, they were open and he didn't throw it to them. Um, so that, that part's on Kirk, right? Um, it was, it was just a very, because he's usually better against the blitz than not the blitz, right? Like, like most, you know, quote unquote, good quarterbacks are it's, yeah. you know, when you blitz them, you make actually the reads a little bit simpler and that's not what happened here. And uh, yeah, I don't know, but I don't think it was because of the flexibility that they intend to have. Well, speaking of the flexibility, Arif, like I, I think a group that has been, I guess in flux for quite some time and, and rather unstable has been like the Vikings offensive line. Um, but it, it seems like at this point, it's a lot of like homegrown guys. It's a lot of guys that the Vikings brought in themselves um, through the draft, like Christian Darisaw at left tackle, uh, Garrett Bradbury, Ezra Cleveland, and and uh, second round pick this year, right guard at Ingram. Um, what what can you make of the Vikings offensive line in terms of what they've built, and do they feel comfortable with this unit? The tackles are good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> start. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, no, I Brian O'Neill is, is a really high-level player. I wouldn't necessarily call him like an elite right tackle, but he's he's up there. He's a really good uh, right tackle. At left tackle, Christian Derrissaw has had a little bit of struggle this year uh, thus far, but mostly has been putting in good performances. And so um, that is a position that they're fairly confident in. It's the interior where you're kind of you have a lot of questions. Ezra Cleveland is probably the best interior player right now, and he's done a pretty decent job, maybe not as, as good of a job as some fans were expecting, but I, I think he's mostly an average guard. That's a big upgrade over the other two positions, unfortunately. Uh, Garrett Bradbury, fairly well known at this point that he's struggled a lot as a center. I think that, um, you know, places that rank centers don't like him. He might be 32nd of 32, maybe 33 of 33, maybe 34 of 34. Uh, <laughs> depends on the year of doing depth. the rankings. Good yeah. depth. Yeah, yeah. And so... <laughs> That's who he is. And then, you know, occasionally they they'll bench him for somebody like Mason Cole, uh, also a 32 of 33 player. So, you know, it's not like, it's not been great. And then Ed Ingram is a rookie and, uh, 
and you know some rookies come out of the gate you know playing really well i remember jonah jackson played pretty well his rookie year but uh yeah some rookies don't and ed ingram is is in that second category right now we don't know if he'll get out of that and be a good player but for now he's struggling he especially struggled against green bay but he didn't you know do the world's best job against philadelphia either and uh, it's creating some issues both in the run game and in the passing game well, I, I, just a quick follow-up to that, like Ed Ingram, like drafting a, a guard in the second round is, is sometimes, I mean, that, that can be construed as being a tad bit high for a guard. So like, was the, was the onus on drafting a, a guard like that to really stabilize the the run game or just, they were really concerned about, you know, pass protection and things like that. Uh, I think that they were worried that they didn't have strength in the middle, right? Because Garrett Bradbury suffers against power. Um, there's a lot of fairly powerful defensive linemen in the division. Um, and, uh, and, you know, having help for Bradbury, having a little bit of power up front, um, I think was meant to be some sort of, uh, kind of restitution for that particular issue. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he was, he was meant to be kind of an all rounder, maybe a little bit better in the run game. Although given how much movement there is in the run game, it's not as if, you know, he's a specialist in the type of, of running that they do. He's meant to be more of an all-rounder that had strength, that had the ability to kind of help out. And, and for right now, it looks like he's getting a little bit lost, right? Like in terms of assignment or technique or not getting his hands in the right spot. Um, We'll see. In, as far as like drafting him pretty high, the consensus was that he was overdrafted by a fair amount. The problem is it's really difficult to figure out why, because he's got uh, some red flags in his background. I don't want to go into too much detail here, but, you know, he was ranked at like uh, past uh, 100 on the consensus big board, which is a big board put together of, of 100 or I shouldn't say 100, um, 80 different industry experts and in different boards. Um, and um, and, and he, it was pretty rare for him to be ranked in the top uh, 64. And he was drafted, I believe, with like 60. Six? I don't know. It doesn't sound like a second round pick. So maybe 63rd. I don't know. I think it was like 50 something. Sure. 59th. Yeah. Um, back to the heck's probably correct, actually. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I mean, he, he certainly wasn't consistently ranked in the in the 50s or the 60s. Um I when I took a look at the film and 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 did my baby analysis of how good of a player he is, um, I felt that he was on film maybe a third round pick, and then based off of kind of the concerns about his background would drop a little bit further. Um, so that was a, a big surprise for me when they drafted him, especially when there were other high higher rated players um, left on the board. So um, yeah, it, it was a bit of a surprise. Obviously, they prioritized some of the things that they did. Um, in talking about him, they did not do a remarkable job selling him on the night of the draft. Um, they're like, yeah, we got it. We, we got, um, you know, our film guy to look at it. Uh, and you know, whenever he likes a guy, he says, you know, this guy is a dancing bear cause he's got light feet. And, uh, but he, but he's like, you know, he's really strong and you know, all that. So the classic scouting term. Sure. And then, and then the general manager went on to say, yeah. And he forgot to say it about this guy. And then I asked and he's like, oh yeah, him too. And I was like, you didn't like have to say that, man. You could have just left it there. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I think Ali McNeil has gotten dancing bear treatment, I believe, uh, from, from Dan Campbell at some point. But, um, you know, speaking of that, um, you mentioned the interior defensive line or offensive line might be a bit of a weakness. Um, you mentioned that the Eagles were, were very effective at blitzing. Do you think, and you also mentioned that, that that was kind of that caught seemed to catch them by surprise. So do you think, I guess, you know, the lines are, are, are again, a, a, a high blitzing team. So I think they maybe the, expect... the most blitzing team, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're up there. Uh, so I guess, is there concern that, that the Vikings won't be able to defend that? Or 
since they they might have a signifier that it's coming, they should be more prepared this Sunday. Yeah, and and also generally speaking, Cousins yeah. has been like pretty good against the blitz. So I, I think that this is probably more a one-off uh, as a combination of both surprise and a lack of adjustment. Um, plus, hey, it was Monday night. You know, you just can't. You can't Cousins can't on a Monday night, it. right? You can't expect it. <laughs> Honestly, it's unfair. <laughs> but but yeah, I think uh, I think like a good noon game um against a team that they know where the blitz is coming i think we'll be fine i don't feel play well but i don't think the blitz will necessarily play um as big of a role normally and then yeah, and the run, yeah go, go ahead, ahead the run game yeah uh, the, the so you mentioned kind of at the top there the the vikings aren't as much you know two running back two tight end formations so it, it's interesting to hear the lines throughout the week basically say their goal is still just stop delvin cook because to me, at least from the outside, it seems like maybe that's not the priority in this Vikings offense anymore. Is Absolutely that, is, not. Okay. Okay. So. <laughs> maybe it's not fair. They they keep on talking about like, you know, how important Dalvin Cook is for them. But like anytime you talk about like the way the offense is running, you talk about specific players, it like it like pivots around Justin Jefferson, like yeah. ways to get Justin Jefferson open. In fact, after the first game, we asked, like, hey, so. Yeah, Adam Thielen got like six targets, three catches. KJ Osborne had like three catches. Irv Smith had like three catches. Like, what's going on with all these other guys that are not Justin Jefferson? We weren't complaining. They just beaten the Packers, right? But like, right. we were just like, hey, you know, is there, you know, a plan or is that just kind of incidental? And he's like, yeah, in between Justin Jefferson targets, you might see, you know, some of these other guys. And it's like, is that how we're talking about it? Now? <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. So it's like very clearly like Justin Jefferson is the guy and you saw how often cousins for, well, I don't know if you actually watched the game. I don't oh, I recommend did. it, but no, okay. I loved it. It was great. <laughs> I mean, as someone who was still a Darius Slay fan, that Darius was a fun Slay, game yeah, to watch. That's fair. that's fair. But yeah, you saw how often Darius Slay, I mean, Justin Jefferson was targeted in that game, right? Like, <laughs> like they, they clearly want the ball to go to him uh, at the risk of missing a wide open KJ Osborne or a wide open Adam Thielen. Uh, there, there's, there were plays where KJ Osborne was like completely uncovered and cousins was like, guy, I gotta force it to Justin Jefferson. Who's this KJ Osborne fellow? What's, what's he doing here? How do you make the team? <laughs> so, so Arif, do you, do you think that O'Connell and the Vikings are just like hyper interested in, in passing the ball so much? Like if, if they find success on the ground, do you think that they would stick with that? A little bit. I, I think that O'Connell is of the mind that passing wins games in the NFL it's interesting going up against like a running back that is like 10 yards a carry or something nuts like that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, I, I, I think that that's kind of his, his belief, but also if they run the ball a bunch in, in the first quarter and they're, and they're up like 24 to zero or something, right. Um, they'll keep running the ball just to drain the clock, right. They're not going to throw yeah. the ball just to throw the ball. Right. Um, and if it's hot, I, I think that he will stick with it, but I think he'll pepper in more passes than most coaches in that scenario would. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I, I think that they know that the way the offense is designed, it pivots off of play action. So they're going to have to throw some runs in there just to feed the beast as it were, but you know, they like Dalvin cook. They think he's a good player. They want to get him the ball, but it doesn't always have to be through the run. Yeah, for sure. I, I guess in, in Detroit, when it comes to DeAndre Swift, it seems like the Lions are almost operating on a pitch count with him, so to speak, especially because he's dealing with injury right now. I, I wasn't yeah, he sure. He has like 20 carries, right? Something like that? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, he's got a, a handful while. of touches and a bunch of yards. But like, <laughs> I, I was just wondering if if that is something that Minnesota is concerned with. I, I mean, I know the drop-off isn't huge when you go to Madison, but like, 
Are they trying to be? Do you think no? It's not really a pitch cut for Dalvin. Okay. Like after the Eagles game, O'Connell was like, "Yeah, I should have run the ball uh, <laughs> at all, really." Because uh, <laughs> it, like, it was it was like what, like fifty passing dropbacks and eleven carries. I don't know, man. Um, it was yeah. it was it was not a ton of running ball. Like so, here's how often they ran the ball. Kirk Cousins led the league and led the team in rushing yards. Right, you had me scared for a second there. Yeah, let the league that would have been amazing. <laughs> we'd be talking about then. No, Kirk Cousins led the team in rushing yards with 20. Second in rushing yards was a tie, and one of them was Jalen Rager. Right, <laughs> so you know, that's like that's where the running game is at the moment. Yeah, well, let's before we head to our first break, let, let's talk about Justin Jefferson because, um, he's good. just a, a very rare performance. Uh, on, on Monday night, he, he's okay. Um, is the key to stopping Justin Jefferson just having Darius Slay, or was there something else the Eagles did? So b- before the the season and after the Packers game, people asked me like, "Is there a single cornerback that you know could just like shut down Justin Jefferson?" And I was like, "Well, historically, yeah, I would I would take 2009 Darrell Revis or 2013 Richard Sherman. I think they're better. I think that they would take on. I think they do a good job of shutting him down." Uh, but I don't think in the modern NFL that there is one. And then it, right, like that was like right before Darius Slay saw like <laughs> seven pass deflections or something crazy like that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, he did have safety help over the top, which allowed him to shift his leverage and stuff like that. So it wasn't like quite Revis Island type behavior. But um, you know, I I I don't really think a, a one-on-one matchup with a really highly talented cornerback. And I know the Detroit Lions run tons of man coverage. So, um, but I, I don't think a one-on-one matchup with a talented cornerback is going to be what stops it. Like, I think it's a combination of the pressure cousin saw. I think it's going to be, you know, having that safety up over the top. I think it's going to be a, a number of things. And this was, like you said, a pretty rare uh, Jefferson performance because, you know, I've, I've seen games where, where he's been bracketed a ton and he still came away with a hundred yards against really talented secondaries. I've seen games where he's been, you know, they've attempted to lock him up with one player. That's a really high level talent, like Jalen Ramsey. And he's come away with a hundred yards. I've seen like a bunch of different approaches to stopping him. They generally haven't worked. Um, I, I think again, the solution might be to play a primetime game, right? Like that's oh, not our specialty. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that second one. Maybe we can get that one flexed. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Real quick, I, just for the Justin Jefferson thing, I, I feel like I saw so many Vikings fans on Twitter in week one just reveling in the fact that, oh, my God, Justin Jefferson getting schemed open. What a concept. Like, is is there something special about Kevin O'Connell's offense where it's like, oh, like that's what Cooper Cup was doing a year ago where he's just, you know, the triple crown winner. Um, a little bit. Yeah. So one thing that's like really cool when you're talking to, um, like a really smart offensive mind, like Kevin O'Connell is the way they talk about designing plays. Isn't just like, you know, Hey, you can stress his own by putting, you know, a receiver in this seam a receiver in this seam. And then, you know, that creates a conflict defender and that moves them. Um, they've got like a pretty good understanding of what happens before the throw, and what happens after the throw, and where those players are going to be within the timing of that offense. And so when you look at some of these Cooper cup plays where he's getting like 80 yards and a lot of it comes after the catch, um, there is a, an intention of putting your receivers in a place to block for yards after the catch within the timing of the concept. So they know not only where uh, the defenders are going to be based off of the, the conflict, but they know exactly where the receivers are going to be and what angles they'll be facing, right? When, when that catch is supposed to happen. And, you know, assuming that the timing of the offense is working out well, 
they're in positions where the defenders are just like out of their angles to be able to tackle after the catch, which is not something you see a lot of in offensive breakdowns where, you know, you say, Hey, they're playing this coverage and you're playing this um, play. And this play is good against this coverage because it, it puts more receivers in an area where there's um, not enough defenders or you're clearing out the cover three receiver with a post route and you're putting a receiver underneath like a sale concept against cover three or something. And that's like, nice, right. That's, you should do that. Right. But there's like an additional layer of, you know, hey, we know exactly what's going to happen after the play because when we drill it, this is where all the players are, where their bodies are turned and what that looks like. So there is something to scheming Justin Jefferson, not just open, but for after catch yards that um, is is really exciting that I just don't see a, a ton of um, breakdowns of. It's, it's really cool. All right. Well, that's something to look forward to. Uh, let's, let's yeah. If you're a Lions fan, if you're a Lions get fan, get ready really for excited, Justin Jefferson. Really excited about that. I mean, Amani Oruwari is back, probably. Hey, don't don't try you to think be that he's going to be the one that because like that his that matchup has not historically gone well for him. No, it, it, I mean, I I don't think Jeff Okuda is necessarily CB one, but he's much closer to it than I think. Amani is, and they typically play yeah. sides too. And with the amount that they move Justin Jefferson around, I don't, I don't know how that works. And they'll move him around week one, week two is not so much static picture. Yeah, it was very it's it, yeah. And and Aaron Glenn talked about it a little bit today, and and the challenges of of defending a guy where they move around that much. And he basically said like, I just have to make sure that there's not a big mismatch. And I don't, again, I don't know how you do that with a guy like Justin Jefferson without bracketing him wherever he goes. And and we'll. There's not, again, like that's not, it's not a great yeah, plan when, when, when I think, you know, the Vikings have a lot of, of weapons, even if they're not utilizing them as, as much as they have in the past. But let's, uh, let's take a break there. We'll talk about some less depressing stuff when, like when the Lions uh, suddenly explosive offense takes the field. So we'll get to that when we come back here on First Bite with Arif Hassan. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we are back here on First Bite, breaking down Lions-Vikings week three matchup here with Arif Hassan of Pro Football Network now. Uh, let's jump, and I want to work kind of from backwards to, to front in terms of the, the Vikings defense versus Lions offense and, and start with um, a, a, an injury that could 
kind of have a, a big impact here. Harrison Smith suffered a concussion late on Monday night, uh, has not practiced through Wednesday or Thursday, which means not going to say he's doubtful to play, but he's, he's kind of got to hurry through the concussion protocol at this point. So how big of a loss would it be if Harrison Smith can't go in this game? And does that mean we get to see Lucene pretty much for the first time? You'd think that, wouldn't you? <laughs> I would. <laughs> uh, okay, so th- this situation is uh, pretty bizarre. Um, Josh Metellus played more snaps than Lewis Seen did uh, yeah. against the Eagles. Um, I don't know what the deal is. I remember in training camp, you know, he's consistently behind Cameron Bynum. Um, and, uh, you know, that's like, okay, fine, he's a rookie. But you know, I was talking to a couple of the other beat reporters and we were like, when is it time to begin worrying about this first round pick? Right. And then, you know, there was like a perfect opportunity to play a bunch of three safety looks against the Eagles because they have a running quarterback. And I think that, you know, if you've got a five person surface and and one linebacker, you can replace your nickel corner with a, with a safety and have like some really interesting options on defense. They didn't do it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then Harrison Smith gets a concussion and Josh Metellus is on the field. And I was like, oh, okay, well, something is happening here. Um, and I think uh, part of it might have to do with Lucene's like knee, which was not on the injury report heading into the Eagles game, but it's been somewhat of an issue for a couple of weeks now. Um, but part of it might just be, it doesn't seem like he's picking up the defense uh, quickly enough, which is very unusual because I was told he was one of the smartest safeties in that draft, if not the smartest safety in the draft. Um, there's apparently some like road scholar type that not an actual road scholar, but there's apparently another like super genius at safety. That's the only thing. But um, yeah, I, I was told he's a remarkably smart. And then you watch him on film at Georgia and he like, he knows what the play is before the offense does. It's like wild how good he is at diagnosing. And it's, so it's just like this very weird circumstance. And so I don't really know what's going on there. We might see a bunch of Lewis scene. Maybe, maybe he's been, um, you know, rotating in a little bit more often maybe he and josh metellus are competing for those snaps i don't know but uh it was interesting to see that it was josh metellus out there now obviously if if harrison smith clears concussion protocol like saturday night right he's going to be like they're not going to like oh harrison smith it wasn't part of the game plan whatever like he's just going to be in there right um but you know if that doesn't happen i think that that's going to be a somewhat significant problem um, for the Vikings, apparently, especially now that the Lions have like the best receiver in the NFL now, suddenly. So that's well, a joke. I don't believe that at all. <laughs> I, I wish you would have validated it, uh, Arif, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> even though I okay, how, how, how about this? How about this? Combined, yeah. DeAndre Swift and Amon Ross St. Brown have more yards from scrimmage than any other receiver running back pair in the NFL. That sounds cool, right? Hey. Yeah, back in our good graces, Arif. Okay, we can move <laughs> forward with this podcast. So, um, at cornerback, okay, um, Cameron Dantzler, uh, former third round pick, and Patrick Peterson, who has just turned 30, I heard. Um, at birthday, yeah, uh, eternally, eternally 29, Patrick Peterson. Um, but in like the Eagles, eternally 24 year old Matthew Stafford, right? <laughs> That's right? I know. Hey, he's got that baby face. And he's got little Caesars money now. It's so funny how he becomes a little Caesars ad dude. As soon as he leaves Detroit, <laughs> he just wasn't big enough to for, for a Detroit brand. Until, All right. Until he won a Super Bowl. I, he didn't want to step on the toes of Detroit style pizza. I get it. <laughs> Man, God guys, you want to just riff on this for the next like 15 <laughs> minutes? Um, 
but no, I, I, I do want to talk about the Vikings secondary and, and their cornerback specifically because um, in the Eagles game, Arif, uh, I, I'm, I'm making sure that I'm getting these stats correct, but Cameron Dantzler allowed five of eight catches uh, for just 31 yards versus the Eagles and everyone else in the Viking secondary was uh, 16 for 16, 205 yards. So is Dantzler the only guy that can be trusted back there or what's going on with the Vikings secondary? Uh, so here's the secret, uh, actually a secret. Uh, Dantzler got benched in the Eagles game. Okay. <laughs> uh, d- this is not the coaches making a mistake. This is PFF misassigning okay. uh, some of these mistakes. Oh, okay. Um, which, which I, I love PFF, right? I don't want to like, you know, this, this is just a thing that happens. Sometimes these assignments are difficult. Um, but I know for a fact, for example, that the Quez Watkins touchdown, mm-hmm. um, the 56 yarder, um, I think it was like 56 yards. Again, I'm not like very great at like memorizing the specifics of numbers, even though I'm a analytics guy. Um, that one uh, was on Cameron Dantzler who bit on the sale route and it should have been Cameron Bynum taking on the sale route with Kendricks being a little bit later to pass him on. Then, um, then Cameron Bynum taking on Quez Watkins on the deep route. That should have been uh, Dantzler on the deep route. And okay. so that 56 yarders on Dantzler, he also made another mistake. Um, he passed off uh, Ertz, I think. It was, it, was a, it was an in-breaking route. He passed off uh, Ertz or, or some other player uh, to nobody. Got her, right? Yeah, it was got, yeah, it got, sorry. Yeah. Ertz doesn't even, yeah. Um, God, what a duo that was, Rip. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, passed off uh, Goddard to nobody. There was nobody over the middle, and he passed him off, and, and he shouldn't have. And so these are res- these are assignments that I think PFF didn't give to him. Uh, and so that looks a lot different, kind of like when Rondale Moore was assigned to Patrick Peterson last year against the Cardinals, also a week two game. And it shouldn't have been. He just happened to be the nearest defender, and so it looked like he was the one in coverage, and he wasn't. Um, so that's part of it, right? Um, Bynum is actually a very good player. Um, I, I don't know that, you know, he's going to be Harrison Smith or anything like that. Um, but you know, I, I think that had, had Lewis seen not had this like weird off season where we don't quite know what the issue is. There's a really good chance that Bynum still would have been the starting safety. I mean, he's just been, it was a surprise to a lot of Vikings fans when they drafted the safety, they expected Bynum to start. Um, so he's a good player and obviously Harrison Smith is a good player. We'll see kind of what happens there. And Peterson is also learning the defense. I hate saying that because he's a super smart veteran. Um, But there were clearly some communication problems in the Eagles game and actually the Packers game. But Aaron Rodgers just didn't trust Christian Watson for some reason. (laughs) Um, And and so a couple of open looks that Watson had, he didn't get. Um, the reception when Patrick Peterson was in coverage. And so there was like some issues there, but um, Peterson is fundamentally a good play. He just hasn't really played off coverage at all in his career. And now he's doing it and it's uh, apparently an adjustment. So um, once that gets figured out, I'm sure that he'll continue to play at a pretty good level, not like an elite level, not like what we associate with Patrick Peterson. Um, but, you know, this is a defense that's better suited to what his current physical skill set is. And once it, once it gets acclimated to that, I think he'll continue to be a, a pretty high level player. But um, I think that the rest of the secondary is a little bit better than those numbers give it credit for. And Cameron Dancer is not as quite as good as this. I mean, he did have a drive though. There was yeah. one drive where was he was like just three plays in a row killing it. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't want to take that away. Um, 
So once he knows like kind of what's going on, um, he could be a, a pretty good player. I should note that my last day at the Vikings facility, um, it was open locker room and he like snuck through the door. Like he didn't want to be talked to at all. And I think it's because he knew that that, that play was his fault and he didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> So, well, yeah, I, well I, I just as a quick aside, Arif, like, do you think that the Lions would potentially, if there's somebody that they're going to target, if there's somebody that they want to play bully ball with, like, would it be Dantzler or would they take their chances with Patrick Peterson, who's trying to kind of get a, a you know, a feel for a, a newer style of defense for himself? Um, if they still had Marvin Hall, I'd, I'd say run him against Patrick Peterson. <laughs> but, oh goodness. I just love Marvin Hall. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> And his 40 yards per catch average. (laughs) (laughs) Just a wooden weird statistical figure. How efficient. Um, Very efficient. Um, No, I I would say, uh, I I don't know if I would necessarily target Patrick Peterson because Amon Ross St. Brown's uh, capabilities stem from his like really efficient route running less than, I mean, it's not like he's a slow player, but it's less about, you know, his physical overwhelming capability um, like a Christian Watson might have. Right. Um, and so I don't know that they would, that would make a lot of sense, but, you know, I would attack whatever safety is replacing Harrison Smith if he's not ready to go. Right. I think that that, you know, if if it does turn out to be Lewis seen like, yeah, he's a first round pick, but I mean, like they didn't put him on the field. Let's see what the Vikings have. And so I would, I would probably do that. Um, and especially like, you know, make, you know, create some looks that force the safety into the box. I know the Lions are very good at that. Um, and run up the guy and, you know, the Lions have maybe the most complicated run blocking scheme in the league right now. Uh, it sounds like a new safety is a perfect testing ground for that sort of thing. So um, I, I think that that's who you might target in the secondary, um, both in the receiving game and in the running game. Yeah. And and Ted Wynn, by the way, over at the athletic had a fantastic article about that. Um, the, the, the complexity of, of the, the Lions run game and the, the, diversity of, of what they can they can give so yeah. if you haven't checked that out 100 reminds me of like out. the harbaugh 49ers like how how diverse <clears throat> that run game is yeah 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 um so yeah let, let's talk a little bit more about the the run game versus the vikings run defense because I don't, I don't i don't know what to make of the vikings run defense yet it wasn't very good last year it hasn't been very good this year but at the same time they're facing off against two of the most efficient running attacks in the the 49 i'm sorry the the eagles and the and the packers um so how much of that is just bad matchups against good teams and how much of that is, uh Oh, the Vikings, yeah. how much of that is they are the most efficient because they played against the Vikings. Right. <laughs> right. But I mean, those, I mean, even last going back to last year, the Eagles and, and the Packers. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, yeah. Yeah. Efficient running teams. <laughs> but, but, yeah. It's, you know, two game sample and they both pop up. Maybe that tells you something. Sure. Uh, no, uh, actually in the first half, the Vikings were doing really well uh, against mm-hmm. the run uh, against the Eagles, despite apparently right now, the Vikings are run with the lightest boxes in the league. Um, and typically that's a sign of what opposing offenses are doing, right? Typically you match box numbers with box numbers and, and the Vikings are like, no, nah, F that, um, <laughs> Kevin O'Connor likes to throw the ball and he likes to defend the pass, right? Like that's, that's kind of like the, the idea. Very, uh, very opposite teams then at, the, at that point, because the Lions are a team that likes to run the ball and, and stop the run. That's yeah. I'm very excited. It's very weird. I mean, <laughs> yeah. by by most figures, it seems like the, the Vikings are kind of on the cutting edge there. But I feel like there's also this kind of undercurrent that says like, OK, well, now now everyone's now trying to pass the ball. Now you got to zig where everyone's zagging. And so the Lions are in the forefront, which not it's sure back. I buy yet, but it, <laughs> I mean, the, the league is been dead since the 70s. The, the running game is back. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we've been saying that for the past 20 years. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, no, uh, I, I think that. Uh, 
they have a really good run defending front, um, but that can get overwhelmed. First of all, I should say Zedarius Smith is not really good at defending the run. He is basically a pass rusher. Yeah, And it's kind of curious because you look at his physical profile and he profiles much more as a run defending um, edge rusher, but yeah, he's just a pass rusher. Daniil Hunter is really good against the run, but really um, got beaten up uh, against the Packers in that capacity. So I don't know if that's a persistent quality of his or not. Harrison Phillips, Dalvin Tomlinson, really great run defenders. Um, almost all of the Eagles' big running plays, at least with the running backs, came with them off the field. Hmm. Uh, and so when you've got somebody like a, a James Lynch, the backup uh, defensive tackle, um, or an Armand Watson there, um, then there's going to be a lot of opportunities in the run game. Uh, but when Dalvin Thompson and Harrison Phillips are out there, it's going to be really difficult to run the ball. We saw that against the Eagles when the Vikings ran no one, well, I should say a four person box, but they were all in the line of scrimmage, right? No one in the box. And the Eagles were like, yeah, of course we're going to run the ball. And they got stuff like a one yard game. Like it, that's pretty wild stuff, I think. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it's, you've got James Lynch in there and it's like, okay, well, he not only weighs like 40 pounds less than Dalvin Tomlinson, he's just fundamentally not as technique sound either. Yeah. And, you know, they get blown off the ball. Right. And so, Part of that just has to do with with how uh, the difference between you know the top line talent and the depth, and some of that has to do with what their priorities are. Some of that has to do with how willing the Eagles were to spread the ball out because they did, um, you know, go four wide with one back in the backfield and, and run the ball sometimes too. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, there have been some difficulties against the run. I think that um, those difficulties have a lot more to do with say Jordan Hicks kind of adapting to 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 the situation that he's in right now, um, and not being as good against the run as Anthony Barr, which I was kind of a surprising outcome to me. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know that I would write the book on, on what the Vikings run defense is right now. Um, I'll just say when the backups are on the field, it's a disaster. And then also they should run it to Darius Smith. All right. Fair enough. I mean, the, the one other thing that I want to ask you, Reef, is if you're the lions and I mean, Deandre Swift has obviously been playing so well, somebody who hasn't been playing so well has been TJ Hawkinson, but those are the two guys I really view on the lions that can put a stress in terms of matchup. They can put a stress on opposing defenses because I mean, how are you going to match up with Hawkinson because of his, you know, uh, speed and size? How are you going to match up with DeAndre Swift because he's so, you know, agile and whatnot. So like if you were going to attack the Vikings defense at the second level, who are you more apt to do it with TJ Hawkinson or DeAndre Swift? You think? Um, I'd use the first couple of plays to figure out kind of what Jordan Hicks's job is and attack that. Right. Um, so if, for example, you put TJ Hawkinson on the field and Jordan Hicks more often than not is the guy that's being tasked with defending him. Absolutely. Go, go mad. Um, if, uh, if you're, you know, if that's not the case, but you've got the capability of getting up to the second level and, and getting him in the run game, do that. Um, you know, Jordan Hicks ended up with, uh, I want to say 14 tackles against the Packers and it feels like that's, that's a pretty good game for a linebacker. And almost all of them came after he got blown out of his gap or after he allowed a reception, right? It was clear that the tack, uh, the Packers were, were comfortable kind of attacking where he was supposed to be. And I, and I feel like that that's not a bad strategy overall. Um, he, he's a very athletic player and he's a very smart player. So maybe at some point he figures this out. Maybe he's lost a step. It felt like um, he might've lost a step against the Packers, but also he was a little bit slow to react. So I don't know what that was about. Um, slower to react than he was in Arizona or Philadelphia, by the way. So like, again, I don't know what that's about. Um, 
but I, I would say that, you know, in terms of trying to figure out what to do with TJ Hawkinson, it's to, it's to look at what matchups that you're generating with your looks, because I would still trust Eric Hendricks in that matchup, like 100% of the time, whether it was against the run or in coverage um, with Deandre Swift, I think it's kind of the same thing. If he's the guy that, you know, Hicks is falling, there's no chance Hicks has a chance of staying, uh, of catching up with Swift in the passing game. Right. And so I think that you'd run a couple of wheel routes after you run some verticals, uh, and, and replace those wheel routes or replace, you know, those verticals with the wheel routes. Um, and you've got like, uh, you know, some pretty good options available to you, but I think like making sure that you, that Dalvin Tomlinson and, uh, Eric Kendricks and Harrison Phillips and Daniel Hunter are not big parts of the game. I think that's kind of your best opportunity and whether that comes through Hawkinson or Swift or whatever, I think that that's kind of how you should approach that. Cause the, the drop-off in performance thus far. Uh, between you know Kendricks and Hicks has been really I think extraordinary all right before we move on to our uh, prediction portion here I, I do want to talk about the Vikings pass rush we, we've already talked about Zadarius Smith and Daniel Hunter and we they're kind of well-trodden territory here and we know Denver's Decker and Sewell's it's a pretty solid matchup but I want to talk a little bit about the interior you mentioned the Vikings are pretty good in, in terms of run defending up the middle but is there anyone in that group that that might be a threat to the Lions's many uh, reserves that, that are probably going to be in this game in the interior in terms of pass rush. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like Frank Ragnow might be healthy enough to play. I don't yeah. Know. They might get Frank back, but it looks like it's yeah. probably going to be uh, Logan Stenberg who has a collective uh, 0.0, I think PFF grade. Yeah, PFF grade 0.0 in, yeah. in, in, in pass blocking. In pass blocking. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, probably uh, what, God, why, what, What's his name? Is it going to be Dan Skipper? It's probably going to be Dan Skipper again. Six nine Dan Skipper. That's right. Um, uh, which, they would they wouldn't kick uh, Evan Brown out or anything like that. It, it's a possibility, but I think I think they like Evan Brown as, as just uh, a pure center. Um, but it's yeah, it, it's something to keep an eye on. Is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I still can't get over Dan Skipper playing guard. It's just it's wild. To me. It, it is wild, uh, and he did well. Uh, the interior, the interior matchups, I think will also involve Zadarius Smith, given how much he, uh, you know, moves around. You're familiar with that. So that's going to be part of it. I think that, um, there's just not a ton of pass rush up the interior. You've got Jonathan Bullard to some extent. You've got Armand Watts, both of them. If Bullard's healthy enough to play, I didn't actually check the Thursday report. I know he was on the Wednesday report. Um, but if, if Bullard's healthy enough to play, I think that he actually does pretty well. You might remember him from his time with the Bears where he was not as good, but he's actually been pretty good um, both in camp and in the one game that he played for the Vikings. Um, but Armand Watts uh, has a lot of movement capability. I think you put him up against somebody that seems to have some trouble in pass protection. He'll produce, right? Like, you know, put him in positions to win, he'll win. Um, but he's not going to create his own wins. So um What's interesting is that that Dan Skipper is probably the kind of player that Watts would do all right against. They're both fairly tall, yeah. right? You know, for for the positions that they play, right? Uh, well, I mean, Dan Skipper's purely tall. I should say Correct. that's not a relativistic <laughs> question. But Armand Watts is, you know, play. He's like six five. He's like a defensive end, wow. but he plays defensive tackle. And so Dan Skipper might be the kind of player that he actually does a little bit better against because he can generate. You know, he's used to these leverage mismatches and stuff right. like that, and so he can actually get underneath. Whereas before, you know, sometimes he wasn't able to get underneath you know a 6-1 coke can of a guard right <laughs> and so um you know he doesn't have to rely on physical strength to to win some of these matchups and that, that might be a good matchup for him um especially because you know skipper can't use like his length in in quite the same way right um but yeah i 
against if Frank Ragnow is healthy against Frank Ragnow, I don't know that I trust anybody um, in that interior to beat him in pass protection. Um, like I would love the Harrison Phillips, Frank Ragnow run reps. That's going to be fun to watch, but yeah, I, I don't expect Phillips or, or Tomlinson to beat him in pass rush. So um, I, I think that those are really going to be how the Vikings hunt for opportunities. And then they're going to do, they do a bunch of t- uh, stunts and twists, tons of line movement, tons of complicated pass rushing uh, paths. So um, that's going to be a big part of it too, to try and test the awareness of a lot of these players. Cause I, I actually, I don't know how good, um, I assume Stenberg is bad at picking up stunts and blitzes, but, um, I don't know how good Dan Skipper is at, at that sort of communication. So, right. um, we'll see about that. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that they're just shuffling as many guys as they, they have been through the first couple of weeks of the season yeah. is, is going to obviously affect that chemistry, but let's get into our, our final segment here. The thing we call one thing we think we know about the game where you make a prediction about any part of the game. Doesn't have to be the score. Doesn't have to be the winner, just any part of the game. Um, Ryan, I feel like we've been doing pretty good on these so far this year. I can't remember. I, I think you hit last week. Didn't you? I did not. I oh, did not come close. Just kidding. Um, oh. Yeah. I said five total turnovers, turnovers. from That's the quarterbacks. Right. You, you were not close at all. I, I don't think that that was an awful number to throw out for a Jared Goff Carson Wentz game. Yeah. I mean, oh I get it here. Yeah. Here we, here we go with the, the Jared Goff a, hate a again. Draft class rematch. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> no, there's just, there's a bunch of bad blood, obviously. I know, this right. would be a little, there's really just an ongoing meme that, that Ryan hates Jared Goff um, because he thought he didn't play well in the first half, which he didn't. Um, but anyway, well, that's one of the reasons. The other reason is because I'm <laughs> jealous of his fiance. Uh, Somebody told sense. me that. Yeah. Okay. That, that video was adorable. <laughs> like, Korea, like oh, it's her first win. Oh, they're yeah. so cute. Yeah. Like the little phone she gets to see. It, it it, it's so, it's so funny that she's on the beach and all of us in Michigan have been like surrounded by sub-zero temperatures. She's doing her job. No, no, no. It's just like, she's celebrating his first win on the beach. And oh, we're yeah, just like yeah, huddled. So, yeah. That December. is a pretty good way to celebrate. It's December and it's like, okay. Wearing so Vikings that monkey off by the back. Way. I yeah. want to oh. point out. Yeah. Wow. I mean, she doesn't get to pick. I mean, a model, right? The clothes are supplied for her. But still, wearing Vikings colors. Great analysis there from Marie. I'm one and one, basically. You're one and one. We'll call yeah, it. Okay. Uh, let, let's try to make it two one like the Lions here. All right. What's the one thing you think you know about week three Lions versus Vikings? Okay. Here's something that I think I'm piecing together. And yeah. uh, I'm looking at Justin Jefferson's breakdown on his receiving depths. Uh, he's got 11 targets between zero and nine yards, and he's got 10 catches there. Uh, so he's got a lot of, I mean, the guy has a short area quickness to, to do some damage, especially in a quick passing game. I'm going to say that the lions get zero sacks against the Minnesota Vikings. Um, for, for not only the reason that I think Minnesota is going to be able to get the ball out quick, if they want to, to somebody like Jefferson who could take advantage of, I think the Detroit Lions cornerbacks and press coverage. But I think the other thing too, that's big and kind of understated, no John Kaminsky who leads sure. the team in pressures. So, um, you know, Aiden Hutchinson still dealing with the Charlie horse. I don't know. Like where's the pass rush going to come from? Because I, I haven't seen a whole lot of it. And I think wow. this could be a game where the Vikings keep Kirk Cousins upright. No, Did John Kaminsky test as a better athlete than, than Hutchinson. I feel like he might have. He may, he might have. <laughs> Maybe relative to his size too. If we can pull yeah, up yeah, some that's, that's numbers, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But no, no trust in Julian Acquire or Austin Bryant, then, huh? Oh yeah, I'm on a Lions podcast. Ras numbers are huge here, right? That's it's right. A, yeah. Hell yeah, brother. Unofficial sponsor. Uh, all right, <laughs> I'm going to throw it to you next, Arif. What is the one thing you think you know about Lions Vikings? 
yeah, I think I know that Justin Jefferson's going over 100. <laughs> Which, I mean, given given his career averages, maybe that's not actually a bold prediction. He is kind of a hundred yard a game guy. We like to, we like to go bold on these, but you don't have to go bold. Yeah, I, no, but it, it's the, the name fun. Of, the name Let's, of the segment is the one thing you on, think me, you know. It's supposed to be a confident the, prediction. Let me change the color to purple real quick. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> there all right. Go. Yeah, I think Justin Jefferson's going for a hundred and seventy five. Oh, okay. There we go. <laughs> the man coverage. This is a man coverage team. Come on. They might switch it up a little oh, bit. Will they? I wonder how often they're going to trust that zero that zero blitz that they do. Well, until it fails them, right? I hope they don't do it this week, Arif. <laughs> it sounds like, hey, the Eagles are great with the zero blitz. I, I feel like they might center the game, game plan around that. Jalen Hurts is a little bit more mobile than Kirk Cousins, right? Well, I, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I'm saying the Eagles actually blitz. They yeah. had some zero blitzes against. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know. Lions <laughs> secondary. I'm not sold on hey, it yet. Hey, they're they're not playing that bad. Hey, I don't believe in the Lions secondary. Believe in Dan Campbell, who believes in the Lions secondary. Believe believe in Aaron Glenn. You're supposed to be Aaron Glenn's biggest supporter here, Ryan. Yeah. See, look at that. Guys, just leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you guys are picking on me. I'm just trying to shift everybody. Everybody's looking at me like Harper on Jared Goff. uh, I'm trying to get someone in someone in the chat just posted the rest. It's 9.75 to 9.88. Close. Close. That's a good call. Nice pull, by the way. (laughs) I love a good pull on Rast. (laughs) All right. The uh the one thing I think I know is that Amon Ra St. Brown's streak of eight catches in a row will not be broken oh my god is it a two-game streak or you going back to last season oh we're going back to last year it's it's eight seven or eight he he i think i think he tied the record and now he has a chance to break it does that include like games with like david blauer however you say yeah it's right now i should be yeah (laughs) well tim tim boyle tim boyle Boyle. oh packers legend that's right yeah (laughs) Tim Boyle ahead of Jordan Love of the depth chart, Tim Boyle. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, no, Tim Boyle can push Jared Goff for the starting job. <laughs> All right. All right. This is going off the rails. Was that a take um, you had or a take you saw? Because That is a take anything. that someone thought I had based on what I what I wrote, which is absolutely not what I wrote. Fantastic. Oh, I was talking. Remember the Packers beat writer game. who said the, the, that, like, oh, yeah, oh, there, Tim there, Boyle could push Jared Goff. Yeah, there was that, too. Anyways. Oh, I, was that? I hopefully that wasn't Domovsky. I respect Domovsky. I don't remember who it was. We're, okay. we're not going to throw anyone under the bus unless it's Woodward. Anyways, uh, let's uh, let's close things out here. I'll give you a second here, Arif, to, to promote whatever you want. Uh, I know you got a couple fires in the kiln. Is that is that how it goes? I don't know. Just promote stuff. It's like the, each kiln has like one fire. One fu- <laughs> I you know what? I'm I'm about to invent the double fire kiln. All right, cool. Like they'll merge together. Into, I hope you realized. No, anyway. no. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you can find my work at profootballnetwork.com. I just released a bunch of quarterback tiers. Again, I did not rank the Falcons quarterbacks out of protest for how they're using Kyle Pitts and not because <laughs> I forgot to copy and paste that part into the document. Arif Hassan <laughs> is my favorite football writer. <laughs> uh, Jared Goff is in there somewhere. I, I, I encourage you to find him. Um, <laughs> I also wrote uh, about uh, Christian Kirk 
and uh, and and how he's making everybody who made fun of the contract look bad right now. It was actually going to be a piece that also included Amon Ross St. Brown and Noah Brown, but I didn't have enough time, and I wanted to to I, I was able I was going to be able to see Amon Ross St. Brown in person anyway, so maybe I can just write a piece dedicated to him. Either way, both those pieces are up right now at ProFootballNetwork.com. You can check them out. Um, and uh, I'm going to have uh, Jeremy on Norse Code in a little bit. And then I'm going to get to make fun of the Lions for real uh, in front of a Vikings-friendly audience. So, um, <laughs> you know, check that out. And then if you wanted to get mad at me, you could do me after that gets released for sure. Perfect. Well, Reef, uh, appreciate you joining us. Like, congratulations, by the way, again, on, on the new gig. Uh, if I can if I can take a minute and actually be sincere on this podcast, um, you, you, you know, you, you deserve it. You've, you've long been one of our favorite oh. guests here and uh and yeah I'm, I'm always happy to see good people go good places i really appreciate that man thanks a lot and uh appreciate everyone listening i uh, appreciate ryan for for being here and and all the live audience and those of you listening in the podcast thank you for listening we will do our post game podcast here live on twitch twitch.tv slash pride of detroit you can always find us on any of your podcast platforms as well but until then until next time thank you for watching it's chaos be kind oh.